0: Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Mickey Farlow. Well, I trust you had a great Christmas, and now you're looking forward to the new year, right? This is kind of the time between Christmas and New Year's that we kind of reflect on the past year. And we plan a little bit ahead uh, for the future. Some of you may make New Year's resolutions, and if you do that, that's fine. But I'd like to suggest uh, an idea to you whether you make a New Year's resolution or you don't make a New Year's resolution. Pick a verse for the year. I think that'd be a good thing to do. Pick a, a verse in the scripture, and that would be your verse for the year that you would memorize it, that you would review it often. And if there are two, three, or more people in the family, each of you pick a different verse, and you could use that. Some people may pick a life's verse. That's a good thing to do, too. When I was a senior in high school, uh, my pastor announced one day during one of the services that all of the seniors, that he wanted us to give a testimony the following sunny night. He wanted us to share uh, when we got saved, what our plans were going to be after we graduate, and our life's verse. And I thought, what is a life's verse? You know, uh, where do you find it? You know, how I don't have time in a week to read through the Bible and find a verse. What happens if I pick one that isn't a good one, you know? And something that I'm stuck with the rest of my life. I mean, that's what an 18-year-old is thinking, right? And somehow, I don't know how I did it, but I came across this verse in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. And here's what it says. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. I picked that and I've liked it the whole time since. And it says there that it's the conclusion of the whole thing. That, that's why I picked it, you know, that that's a good summary right there. Well, I thought if that's my life's verse, and that's in Ecclesiastes. I should probably read the book of Ecclesiastes and see what it's all about. I just went to the end of the book. And that's what I did. Went to the end of the book and I found the conclusion. I found the ending, but I didn't really know what else was in there. I started reading it. As I was reading it, it was talking about doing this and doing that. and, And then I would see the phrase, it's all vanity. What? How can it be all vanity? Whether you work, it's all vanity. Whatever you do, it's all vanity. And I thought, this doesn't make sense. And I kind of put it off the shelf there and I thought, oh, I like my two verses. I just don't understand the rest of it. But later on, I was talking to a pastor one time and he said, well, the book of Ecclesiastes is more written from an unsaved person's life. You know, apart from God, there's no meaning to life and and that's what he's talking about. And I thought, well, that's kind of negative to read a whole book and it just says this is the wrong thing to be thinking about. And I thought, there's got to be more to that. And then as I was reading through the scriptures, I found in several places, but especially in chapter 12 and verse 10, it says these are delightful words and words of truth. In fact, the the Bible claims to be truth given directly by God. So what is our understanding when it says this is vanity, this is meaningless? Well, we need to understand what is the real message of Ecclesiastes. And here's what I want us to see. The message of Ecclesiastes is God wants us to enjoy life even though we can't escape the curse. The world has been cursed, hasn't it? And Solomon tells us this tells us this in chapter 2 beginning in verse 24. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Basically, Solomon is saying that when we live for God, we'll enjoy life, and when we stray away from God, life will be empty. But then my thought was, why should I listen to Solomon? Now, we know that Solomon started out good, right? When he became king, uh, God says, how can I help you? And Solomon says, I choose wisdom. And God gave him wisdom, and he was called the wisest man that ever lived. But what happened later? I almost don't even want to read about that. I don't even want to talk about that. Because we see Solomon making bad, bad choices And what did he did. Instead of trusting in God, he started trusting in other things. What was he trusting in? Well, you know what? There were all these nations around them, and they were always wanting to conquer his nation. That's what, what they did. And so he thought what he needed to do is he needed to build up his military power, right? Isn't that what nations do to protect themselves? And back then, they didn't have tanks and missiles and that kind of thing. They had horses and chariots. So that's what he did. He amassed himself of, of a lot of horses and chariots and even talked about Solomon's stables. And then we see he thought, I need money. I've got to have a lot of money to protect myself. And he amassed a lot of silver and gold and all kinds of treasures and he became the wealthiest king that was ever around. And then he still didn't feel like he was safe and so he felt like he needed to set up treaties with the the neighboring countries. And when you negotiate a treaty, the way you sign the deal is you marry one of the other king's daughters so that they wouldn't fight against one another. And you know how that went, but the scripture says that these foreign pagan women that he married, which was against God's will, all of these things were against God's will, it says that they turned his heart away from God. As you read through the scripture, you see that his heart got so far away from God that he actually built temples for some of these false gods that some of his wives worshiped. And so if we would kind of graph his life when he first started, started as king in 970 B.C., he started going up as his relationship with God and because he was wise. And then he turned away from God and he, he fell away from God and he went way down low. And then we read in 1 Kings chapter 11 that God's discipline came upon Solomon and Solomon repented of his sin. He started turning back to God. So then his life started going back to God. When he was about 80 years old, this is when he was turning back to God, and this is when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He realizes he's writing the book of Ecclesiastes that he'd gone through all of these years when he was serving God and he was following God, and then he turned way away from God, and now he's turning back, and he's writing this book of Ecclesiastes to say, here is what you need to focus on. We know it's the word of God, but this is where we're coming with Solomon and what he is is saying here. So we see here that Solomon says that we can enjoy life even in the midst of the curse, the, the sorrow and the suffering that we have in this world. But it's also interesting, as you read the book of Ecclesiastes, there is one word that is used often throughout the book. And in fact, if I were to ask you before I started preaching here, when you think of the book of Ecclesiastes, what are some words that come to your mind? thing one that would come right away would be the one called vanity vanity of vanity all things are of vanity well what does that word mean we have a tendency to as we read scripture we give definitions to words based upon our understanding of the word in our english uh, language and in this culture and if we think something is vanity the dictionary would say it's meaningless it's empty it's no value okay But what does it actually mean in Scripture? That's what we need to understand. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, it says this, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Here, what it's talking about is returning to dust is the experience of every person. Whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, everybody is going to die. Well, we see, as I already mentioned here in chapter 1 and verse 2, but also in chapter 12 and verse 8, this same statement is repeated. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So we know that this is something important that we need to understand. And it's important when you see a word that is used a lot, when you see something that is repeated, you see something at the beginning of the book, you see the exact quote at the end of the book, you know it's important. And that's usually kind of a clue when you do do Bible study that this is probably a good time to do a word study. What does this word really mean? And in the Hebrew, it doesn't mean meaninglessness. The idea is futility, frustration, limitation, and ultimately death is what captures the meaning of the word vanity. In Ecclesiastes 12, 7 through 8, we already talked about, and we read where it talks about us returning to dust. But there are two other places in Scripture where it talks about that too, which helps gives us even a a better understanding of this word. One of those passages is in Genesis chapter 3. So we look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17. It says this, Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, And have eaten from the tree of life, which I have commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return." We see in Genesis chapter 3, that's when the earth was cursed, that's when mankind was cursed, everything was cursed because of sin. And death is a result of that. But then as we come back to the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, we see a similar statement. In chapter 3 and verse 19, it says this, for what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them, As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and all return to dust. As we look at that, there's one statement that seems out of place. One statement that maybe raised questions in your mind when it said, Humans have no advantage over animals. Well, what does that mean? Well, we know that we're not the same as animals. If you go ahead and read in verse 21, it says, Who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth? There's a difference between man and animals. We're different there. But one thing that is common, and that is death. And we have no advantage over the animals. They die, and we are going to die as well. And that's what the scripture says. That's what Solomon says. That is what is vanity. That we see is a part of the curse. It's something that we can't cure. So a fitting definition of vanity is futility, frustration, limitation, and ultimately death, which every person experiences as a result of living in a cursed world. We know that. But the good news is, is God can help us to have joy in the midst of a sinful world. Because that's where we are. But he can help us through that. But you know what? We're so surrounded by this sinful world that many times we become so familiar with it, so accustomed to it, that we don't even notice how sinful it is. It's almost like trying to explain water to a fish. He's just in it all the time. He doesn't even think about it. What do we experience as a result of the curse? You could probably mention several things, but how about flat tires, okay? What about uh, covid Bills, bad breath, cancer, broken relationships, bad weather, car accidents. You can go on and on and on, and all of these things are a result of the curse. But what we're used to saying is, these things are normal. These things just happen. And if that's what we're thinking, these things are normal, then we have become surrounded and shaped into the world today. And we don't look at these things. We should not look at these things as normal. These things are wrong. Sometimes people look at death. They say, well, that's just normal. That's just how the cycle of life goes. Death is not normal. Things that we see going on in our life right now, it's not normal. This is not how God planned it. This is a sin-cursed world that we live in. But the hope is that we can have joy in the midst of it. Solomon rages against the curse. That's what you see as you read through Ecclesiastes because he recognizes that like its mother's sin, it is an invader in our life. If you don't hate the curse, Solomon argues, then you've accepted the enemy occupation of your territory. Solomon talks about this, and we see here that he's talking about the purpose in life. And he sees that we can have joy in the midst of the the suffering. Solomon is trying to show us how to approach life after Eden and before the kingdom. Because before in in Eden, life was perfect and there was no curse. We read in Genesis chapter 3, as soon as they sinned, everything was cursed. But what we have to look forward to is when the kingdom comes, there will be no more curse. When is the kingdom? It's referring to the millennium. Now, this morning we were singing Joy to the World. That's one of my favorite songs, and I thought he was going to sing all of it, but it was a new, new version that he sang. But when I think of Joy to the World, it's actually not a Christmas song. Isaac Watts, who wrote it, actually based it on Psalm 98, which talks about the millennium. But one of the phrases in that song, it says, No more let sin or sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. What's he talking about? He's looking forward to the millennium when there is no curse. And so whenever I sing that song, I know a lot of people are thinking it's, you know, about Bethlehem, Jesus born. I know it's speaking about the millennium, and I get excited because I'm looking forward to that time when there will be no more curse. And that's what Solomon is teaching us now. He's saying we have the curse now. It won't be taken care of until after the tribulation time. But in the meantime, we don't have to be sad we don't have to be depressed. We can have joy in the midst of the, the suffering and the pain that surrounds us all the time. And that's what he, he wants us to see. He gets right to the point here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 in verse 2. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, and another generation comes. But the earth abides forever. He is simply saying all of life is affected by the curse. And perhaps the worst thing about it is the upside down nature of things. I think Solomon, when he was writing this, was probably angry. I want you to imagine a dialogue that might have occurred with Solomon as he was writing this. Solomon says, A generation comes and a generation goes, but the earth remains forever. That is so wrong. But Solomon, why are you so worked up? It's just the way things are. Yes, it's the way things are, but it's not the way things are supposed to be. What do you mean? God's intention is that mankind should rule over the earth as its master and sovereign. The earth isn't the main thing. It's just the stage. It's the actors that make the play, not the backdrop. The problem now is that after the curse, it's as though the earth is the most important thing. At least that's what it feels like because a generation comes and goes. People, are supposed to, people who are supposed to live forever die. And it's the earth that just keeps going. It's very hard to rule over the earth when you're six feet under. It's like this: suddenly the stage is more important than the actors. What kind of messed up play is this? Do you see what's taking place? What the curse does? And he continues the theme in, in verse 5. The sun also rises, rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. Like clockwork, right? And that's how we get our time. But that just keeps going and going and going. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls around continually and comes again on its circuit. We know how the wind just keeps moving and moving and moving. All the, rub, all the rivers run into the sea. Yet the sea is not full. Do you ever wonder about that? How come the ocean never gets full? The sea is not full to the place from which the rivers come. There they return again. But we know why the the oceans don't get full. There's the evaporation. And then we see there's precipitation. Then there's the precipitation. Then there's the rivers. that goes in the ocean. It just keeps going. So what he's saying is all of this just keeps going and going and going. In verse 15, it says here, what is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be numbered. Basically, what he's saying here is that there is no way to straighten out the curse on this earth. While we're here on this earth, we can't change it, we can't cure it. But you know what? People are trying to do that all the time, aren't they? They're trying to fix this world. Because what happens is when we feel the pain and the suffering, we think about the pain and suffering. You could all give testimony of it. Maybe you've been sick. Maybe, you've, maybe you have loved ones that have passed away. Maybe you've lost money. You've had debt. All kinds of things that take place. Bad things that take place. We see it happening all the time. And what happens when we feel the pain of this world? I do a lot of counseling. And most of the people I talk to have problems, okay? And that's okay, okay? Because I want to help them and I want to give solutions. But I hear the pain, I hear the suffering, and I feel bad for people when I hear the things that they're going through. But when you are hurting, what is the first instinct? People try to avoid the pain, don't they? If there's any way to avoid the pain, they want to do it. They want to flee from the pain, they want to mask the pain, they want to ignore the pain. But then some try to find a solution And that's what you need to do Is find a solution But if you don't turn to the person That has the answers It doesn't help Wrong solutions don't help Guess what happened with Solomon He was turning away from God As he was turning away from God He was feeling pain And he tried to find a solution to that pain And he tried three things that didn't work First one is what I would call sensuality The second one is intellectualism. And the third one is work. But as he was searching and finding out none of these worked, it helped him to see the right solution that he needed to turn to God because he couldn't do this on his own. What do I mean about sensuality? It's just the five senses. What makes you feel good? When you have pain, you don't feel good, right? And you want to feel good. What can you do to mask the pain? What is the false solution that gives you maybe temporary relief or feelings? Well, if you read in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 1 through 11, you can see everything he tried. The first thing he tried was entertainment in verses 1 and 2, pleasure and laughter. If you're having a bad day, things aren't going well, you just say, you know what, you need to do something to make you happy. You know what, you need, need some kind of entertainment and just get your mind off of things. Well it may help for a little bit But it's not the solution right That's what he saw And then we see in verse 3 He tried drugs It says unmixed wine Is what he's focusing on And we see a lot of people When they have pain What do they do It's drinking And it's drugs They do those things To try to mask the pain And then What do you do If you're not feeling good You're not happy with your life He tried achievements In verse 4 He built houses And vineyards And gardens And uh Aqueducts and things like that to be able to get the water where it needed to be. He wanted to be successful. And guess what? He was successful in all those things. But did it bring him the joy that he needed? No, it didn't. What else did he try? He tried wealth, the gold and the silver and treasures. But that didn't bring the peace. That didn't help the pain that he was going through. He tried women. No exaggeration. A thousand of them. It didn't help. Do you see? He tried all of these things. And then he tried hedonism. In verse 10, it says, He did whatever his eyes desired. He didn't withhold anything from him that he wanted to do. He tried it all. And what do he say the result was in verse 11? Everything is vanity. Nothing satisfies. Nothing apart from God satisfied. The curse is still there. We see he tried to dull the pain of the curse by doing things to make him feel better. But he also tried to dull the pain of the curse by intellectualism. What do I mean by that? In verse 12, it says, Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom. He moved from the realm of doing, sensuality, to thinking, intellectualism. I'm smart. I can figure this out. Education is the answer. You just have to study it out and find the answer, and that will work. But he said that, too, is vanity. In verse 16 he says wise men will die too and they will be forgotten so the curse is still there. And then the third thing he tried to dull the pain of the curse by working harder. Ecclesiastes 2:18 to 23. A lot of people do that they just they just go to work they they're not happy at home they spend more time at work. And they just get busy and busy and busy and they try to do that. But guess what? People work hard, they get money, but then what happens? They think what happens when I'm gone? if I leave it to somebody, and if they don't spend it wisely, that'd be terrible as you read it through that. You see exactly what's going on. You work hard. What happens if I give it to my children or somebody, and they just go on a vacation with my hard-earned money? It's just vanity is what they're saying. It isn't satisfying. Do you see? We live in a sinful, sin-cursed world, and We want things to satisfy us, and we try to find things in the world to meet that need, and those aren't the answers. God is the only one. So, Solomon is trying to show us how do we approach life after Eden and before the millennium? How do we treat life? How do we live in this life, which is a hard life that we're facing? And he gives us the answers. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he gives us a poem. It's going to be very familiar, and I'm not going to read all the poem. But he starts out, there's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. And it goes on and on and on like that. But what you see is half of the poem is positive and half is negative. Half of the poem, the part that is positive, describes life before the curse. And the last half of the poem that's negative describes what life is after the curse. Solomon is saying that bad times will come and we can't avoid them and we can't solve them. So don't waste your time trying to avoid them or try to solve them. Instead, focus on God who can give you the joy in the midst of the trial. Here we see in Ecclesiastes 3.22, it says, so I saw that there's nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work because that is his lot. God says we're to enjoy... Our life, as long as we're doing it, focused on how God wants us to do it. We see that Solomon is balancing both realities. The world is under a curse, but don't get depressed. Don't get negative. God tells us how to respond. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 18, it says this. Here is what I have seen. Now, Solomon, remember, this is at the end of his life. He has seen a lot of things. He says, here is what I've seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink. That's good, especially in the holidays, right? This is a good life's verse for you. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him, for it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Do you see? Enjoyment is a gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. Do you see what Solomon is saying? Joy with labor, joy in this life is a gift from God. And we can have joy in the midst of this sinful world that we live in. So what is the summary of God's goal for us? The curse is real, cannot be escaped in this life. But even in the midst of it, God is still good and desires that man should do more than simply endure. He should seek to enjoy life as a gift from God. Wow, that's what Solomon wants us to see but you know that's in the first half of the book we we see the the vanity we see that that we can have victory we can have joy in the midst of the vain world that we live within but in the second half of the book we don't see as many references to vanity and the curse but it's replaced by the phrase man does not know what is it that man does not know Well, there's two things that prevent us from having enjoyment in this life as God wants us to have if we don't know these two things. The first thing is not knowing what is good can keep a person from enjoying life. Basically, what does it mean to know what is good? It's important to know what is right and what is wrong. Or the Bible says what is good and what is evil. Or what is wise and what is foolish. So we need need to know what God says is right. If we don't, We're going to reap the consequences of what we have done because we know that right doctrine leads to right actions, which leads to right feelings. And that's what he's saying. What are two things that we don't know? And he says the first one is you don't know what's good for you. That's the basic thing. And then he starts out with some proverbs, and these proverbs are good. And you'll know some of them. The first one, a good name is better than fine perfume. Solomon is saying it is better to be good than simply to appear to be good. He's focusing on character and not appearance. He says if you focus on character, you're going to enjoy life better. If you focus on just appearance, you're not going to enjoy life. He goes on to another proverb it is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. Now, what would you rather do? Go to a party or to a funeral? We know we'd rather go to a party. But what is good for us is to go to a funeral. Why? If you go to a party, you just have fun. It's entertainment and parties are fine. I want you to enjoy parties and have fun. But when you go to a funeral, you realize a couple things. The brevity of life. And you also think about, what have I really done that's counted for God? What have I done that's counted for eternity? What do I need to do going forward that counts for eternity? And that's good for us to focus on that. Well, there's so many other proverbs, but you can see here, we need to know what is good and what is wrong. The other thing that he says that can hinder us from enjoying life is not knowing what the future holds. What does that mean? What he's telling us is we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Focus on today. The scripture tells us about that. We don't know what tomorrow's gonna hold, okay? We give that to God, but many people worry about what's gonna happen tomorrow or the next day, and they stress out and they worry and they make bad decisions, and they allow their fear to rob them of joy. Chapter nine, verse one says this, no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. We don't know what's gonna happen, but don't worry about it, because no matter what it is, God tells you how to respond to it. And you can have joy, and he can, he can help you through that. Sometimes we're thinking about tomorrow so much, we don't focus on doing what we ought to do today. A lot of times, kids, when they go to school, they can hardly wait till Friday when it's over. They can hardly wait until there's a break. They hardly wait till, till summer vacation. Hey, instead of thinking about that and living for that, you ought to be thinking about today. What can I learn today? I need to be focused on today. But you know, adults, we do the same thing. We think about, oh, I can hardly wait till I get a job hardly wait until I get married. We're thinking about that and oh wow, when I get a house. And then I'd like to have a house full of kids. And then I'd like to have the kids leave. Looking forward to that when they're gone. You keep looking ahead. And God says, no, 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 no. Don't think about tomorrow. Look at today and focus on today. Because if you just be thinking about the future, which you don't know what's going to happen, you miss the joy of today. Solomon says, you don't know the future or even if you will have one. You understand that, right? You don't know if you've got another day to live. You don't know that. So live today. Make sure you're doing what God wants you to do today. That's why he gave this counsel in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 7. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life which he has given you under the sun. All your days of vanity for that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. He is saying here, go and eat and drink with a joyful heart. God has already approved. He has already set what what you should be doing. You know, he continues this theme in, in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10. And here he says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That's what he wants us to do. Focus on today. Now, in Ecclesiastes 11 verse 3, Solomon gives us what looks like a silly proverb. Okay? And when I read it to you, uh, I think you're going to think it's silly too. Here we go concentrate on this. Make sure you get the right interpretation of this verse. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there will it lie. Did you get that? Does that seem silly? Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there will it lie. Why write something that seems obviously so unhelpful? Remember, you've got to connect every verse of scripture to the theme Uh, and what we see here is that we don't always know how things are going to turn out we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow like we would say we don't know when the next shoe is going to drop we don't usually say we don't know when the next tree is going to fall but the shoe could drop the tree could fall we don't know if the tree falls which way it's going to go but wherever it goes we can't do anything about it and it's just going to be there So what is he saying here? Don't let the fear of tomorrow keep you from doing what God wants you to do today. Don't let fear affect you and control you so that you don't take the chances and do the things that God wants you to do. Don't be paralyzed about what could happen. Just do what God wants you to do today. The Bible says, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Those are steps. Those aren't jumps. They're just the steps. And that's what we need to do. Just keep going forward and don't worry about tomorrow. We can take chances. Even Michael Jordan knows that's true. He says, I missed over 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I was trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. We don't worry about failure. We keep doing what God wants us to do, and he'll take care of us. Well, God wants us to enjoy life even though we can't escape the curse. He wants us to know what is good and he wants us to know that we need to not worry about the future. But then we see that in order to enjoy life, we need to fear him and keep his commandments. Now we're getting back to my life's verse. We're getting toward the end of Ecclesiastes. And we see in Ecclesiastes 11 and 12, we see some closing advice. And the first thing we see says, enjoy life in your old age. Now, the older one gets, the more the curse will invade and conquer one's life, right? Our vision decreases, hands become unsteady, teeth fall out, hair turns white, or leaves us entirely, bodies break down, and we, vie, and we die. You know, some, somebody said, getting old is not for sissies, right? It's hard work to do that. It's difficult going through that when all these things stop working. And all that is just a reminder to us, the curse is there. Our body is falling apart, and we are going to die. And that's why he says in chapter 12, verse 8, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He's just saying this whole world is under the curse. We know that. But even as we get older, and we can't do the things that we used to do, we can still enjoy life. That's what he's wanting us to encourage, encourage us with. And then he comes to the conclusion of the whole matter. He says, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. What does it mean to fear God? It just says, Who are you going to listen to? Fear God and keep His commandments. Who is it that you're going to get your advice and counsel from? Is it going to be fear God and listen to the commandments of the president? Is it going to be fear the governor and do what he says? Is it going to be fear the neighbor? and do what he says is going to be fear yourself and do what you say no who are you going to listen to listen to God and keep his commandments when you're obedient to him he says this is the whole duty of man basically what that is saying here is if you listen to God and you keep his commandments they make you complete That is our duty. That's what makes us complete. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly complete. Completed, that's what we do. When we read God's Word and we understand it and we apply it, He makes us complete. And we're going to be able to enjoy life. We know how to respond no matter what the trials are coming our way. And then he says, for God shall bring every work into judgment. Now, there's gonna be a reward at the end. When we see judgment, a lot of times we think with judgment, it's some kind of penalty. No, you know what? If you're running a race, if you get first, you get a reward, right? In school, you do well on a test. You get, get some kind of reward. And what we see here is God wants to reward us and he wants to encourage us with what we're doing. And so that's what he wants to encourage us to do. He's going to reward us for what we've done. So even though we live in a sinful world, we can still enjoy life as long as we're being obedient to what God wants us to do. You know, as you think of New Year's resolution, maybe Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14 would be a good verse for you to take and to apply to your lives. So what do we learn this morning? First of all, we've learned there's a problem. What's the problem? How do we enjoy life in a sin-cursed world? What's the solution? Know that we can't change our circumstances, but we can learn how to respond, how God wants us to respond to the problems. Don't worry about tomorrow. Enjoy today. So what do we do now? We need to fear God and obey his commands. Now we know to do all of that. So what's the next step? Do it. Do it. It says the things that you have heard and seen in me do. It's not just head knowledge. You've got to put it into practice. What we see is Solomon tried tried it all. It took him a long time to get it right. You know what? If you're 80 or older, you can still have time to get it right. But you know what? It's a whole lot wiser to start when you're young and get it early and go forward with it. You know, if you're a believer here today, I just want to encourage you to examine your life. What are those things in your life that you're not doing what God wants you to do? And that could be why you're suffering some of the consequences in your life. If you do what's right, God is going to bless you. So just in the quietness of this service, in your own heart, you can just pray silently to God. And and any changes you need to make, I encourage you to do that. You know, in Ecclesiastes 3.17 says, God shall judge the righteous and the sinner. The righteous person is the believer because when you put your faith and trust in Christ, he declares you righteous. The sinner is the person who's never put their faith and trust in Christ. And if you're here today and you're saying, I'm not sure if I put my faith and trust in Christ, let me just explain that to you briefly what's involved. The Bible has one command for you that have not put your faith and trust in Christ, and that is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's all you have to do. What do you have to believe in? Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he arose again that you might have that gift of eternal life. Jesus was born at Christmas that he could die at the cross, that he could give us the gift of eternal life. And here's the good news it's a gift. It's not earned or deserved. There's nothing you can do to receive it. And the Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What that means is we've all sinned and we're disqualified from going to heaven. It only takes one sin to disqualify us from heaven. The bad news is Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, which is hell. We deserve hell. We don't deserve heaven. There's nothing we can do to earn heaven. But God loved us and Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he paid that debt. And now he can offer us the gift of eternal life. You know, if you've never received that gift of eternal life, I want to encourage you to do that even now. You can pray to God and you can do it with your eyes open. Did you know that? And you can just, you can just, as you, as you pray the prayer, it's more than praying a prayer. The Bible says that you have to believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for you and he rose from the dead and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation you can believe it but if you've never asked for it you don't have it if you've asked for it and you believed it you don't have to pray the prayer a second time you only have to do it once in your life just like you're only born physically once you're only born again spiritually once but if you've never understood this before that you're a sinner and you deserve to go to hell and that God loved you Jesus died on the cross for sins I would encourage you to ask for that gift today. And you can just pray silently to God. This is what I'm going to be sharing with you. You can just say something like this to God. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner and I deserve to go to hell. But God, I know you love me and that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I want you now to save me from hell, forgive me of my sins, give me the gift of eternal life and make me a child of God. And if you believe that, and you're sincere, and you ask that, it says that he will give you that gift of eternal life. That's the greatest decision you can ever make. A year ago, I got a call from one of my friends uh, that I graduated high school with, and he's not a believer. I've shared the gospel with him, and he's rejected it. But he said, we've got a friend. His name is Randy. And uh, he's got an infection in his leg, and the doctors think that he— he may have to have his uh, foot removed. And if he doesn't have it removed, the infection could go quickly up his leg and he might lose more. And I just wondered, Mickey, if uh, when you go down to see your your mom at Christmas, if you would go visit him. And I said I would. And I called Randy up and I said, "Hey, I'd like to come and see you." But you know what? I was only down there for 2 days, the day before Christmas and Christmas, and that's hard to get together with somebody when there's all the Christmas stuff going on and I said, Randy, is there time we can get together? He says, the only time I have is Christmas morning before noon. And that's when I was planning to spend time with mom. And mom says, uh, skip that. You go talk to Randy. And I went to meet him. And you know, COVID was there. And he said, uh, don't want you to come in the house. I want to stay separated. We met in the machine shed and he told me what door to go in and I went in the door and there he was about 40 feet from the door sitting on a metal chair. He had another metal chair about 20 feet from him. He had a mask. I'm wearing a mask and I sit there in that machine shed. He starts talking to me about sports. He starts talking to me about farming and then he gets around to, I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die. And as I I was able to share the gospel with him that Christmas morning and Christmas morning, Of 2020, he prayed to receive Christ as his personal Savior in that machine shed. That is so important. That is the most important decision that you can make. I texted him yesterday and I said, uh, Merry Christmas, Randy. And I'm so thankful that you received the gift of eternal life. And he texted back, Thank you, Mickey, for sharing that with me. That's what we need to do. That's the most important thing. Father, thank you for this message that in the midst of a sin-cursed world, we can enjoy life. And we also know that you are the one that gives us the gift of eternal life, and that is step one. And I pray that if there are those that have accepted that gift today, that they would let us know that we could help them to grow in their Christian life. Lord, help us as we go forward in this coming year to be able to live that victorious life in the midst of this sin-cursed world that we live in. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit atharvest.church.